Hello there, people. Welcome to the first ever episode of Campbell Conversations, the business and fitness podcast with your host, Colin Campbell. This has been such a long time coming, and I'm so glad that we are finally in a position to launch and get everything started. It's really going to work as a a bit of a sideline alongside my Instagram, which a lot of you will follow and engage with. And it's an opportunity to have more long-form conversations and going more in-depth on topics that are of interest. With that in mind, today's conversation is with Chris Williamson. Chris is an incredibly interesting character, and we cover a number of subjects that will be of interest to everyone. The first of those being Chris's business. We then move on to self-development and the journey that he went on after being on Love Island. And we then finally cover his fitness menopause and the journey that that involved and his own experiences with sobriety. Thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you enjoy this. Speak to you soon. people and welcome to the first ever episode of Cambro Conversations, the business and fitness podcast. What better way to kick off this podcast than bringing on the king of UK self-development podcasts himself, Mr. Chris Williamson. Chris, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, mate. Great to be here. Now, whenever I listen to a podcast, I always enjoy the, the fluffy intro piece that the host gives to bring the guest on now there's an awful lot that we could cover for yourself and I think just to give a very top level I'll uh, I'll, I'll do that to start and then I'll let you let you carry on Chris but Chris is the host of Modern Wisdom which is one of my favorite podcasts everyone that follows me on Instagram will know that he for a living fills nightclubs across the north of the UK and ultimately is also in fantastic shape so fits the profile for the kind of individual that I want to have conversations with on this pod moving forward. Chris, apart from those kind of high-level headlines that I've given, would you like to give a bit more of a background in yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, So I'm 32. I've been business owner for 13 years, as you said, uh, run nightclubs, voodoo events. Uh, Anyone who's been to Leeds, Newcastle, Manchester will have probably stepped foot into a club night of ours especially if you uh, were at university during the era of carnage, the bar crawl and stuff like that. That was us. Um, so yeah, <clears throat> I spent a long time running businesses. Uh, did that. I sat next to my business partner, my first ever seminar at uni and 13 years later, we've still not got rid of each other. So, you know, that was quite serendipitous. Um, what else have I done? So I basically have a high interest in novelty. So I like to change what it is that's happening in my life. There tends to be some stable stuff and there tends to be some other stuff that goes around it. So I've DJed, I've been a commercial model since I was like 19 years old, do a lot of that. I did Take Me Out, I did Love Island. Uh, both of those were interesting, like anything for a free holiday, essentially. Um, and I'll <laughs> get away. Um, I got to meet Paddy McGuinness, got to go Isla Fernando's, got to do all that stuff. You know, Blue Tick on Twitter, all the, all the, big, all the big ones. Um, and then, yeah, uh, just after Love Island kind of had a little bit of an epiphany, turned a bit of a, a corner, I think, with regards to my self-development, my personal development, realized I wasn't nourishing myself in the way that I should be. 
I got exposed during my time on Love Island to people who genuinely are the character that I was pretending to be. So John Clark, who's now on TOWIE, endless charisma, endless, like just stories and energy. And that was what I could do in intervals. But I, I thought I was that person. I thought I was this big dick club promoter around town. Turned out I wasn't. That was a problem. Problem requires solution. Solution was start exposing myself to mindful content, reading, uh, doing self-inquiry, a lot of meditation, a lot of just everything. Like I just, if you throw enough shit at the wall, can I, am I right to swear? Yeah, of course, Chris, far away. Good, piss. Um, if I throw enough shit at the wall, then some of it will stick. Um, and some of it has, and from there was on a podcast, really enjoyed it. Same as yourself, you guested on some last year and now you've started your own precisely the same for me i love the process started modern wisdom and that's now the main squeeze so at the moment it's running nightclubs um property i have a few properties that's just a, a byproduct of my f- particular preference for a financial makeup for passive income yep. um modeling modern wisdom and six months sober which is my new online course which i released at the start of 2020 yeah so much to to unpack there and i think the the first area that I'd, I'd like to chat about, Chris, is with regards to you starting that entry into working life and business when you're, you're sitting in a lecture next to your future business partner. You get involved with, with, with nightclubs, as so many do in, in freshers. They hand out some flyers for some extra money or some free entry or some free drink when they're, when, when they're going to the, the Wednesday night or whatever it is. How did that evolve to the position where you are now where you run events across three of the largest student cities in the UK? Uh, literally, as, as you described, just I, I realized that by the end of Freshers' Week, I was pretty much skint. I drank myself skint. Um, you know, this is when the student loan was quite, still quite small. It was only maybe a grand a month or something, and you needed to pay your rent out of that. Sat next to my business partner, said, I'm skint. This is shit. He said, well, I, I used to work for this company in Leeds. They've got a branch in Newcastle. Do you want to come with me? You can get a flyering job. It pays like five pounds an hour. I was like, I'm in. And that was it. I literally just worked my way up. So became the best flyer. So became flyer manager, then became the best halls rep. So became halls manager, then became like junior event manager, then event manager. And then um, picked up my first franchise when I was 19, which was Carnage. Um, that was a license to print money back in the day. Like we just sell out three and a half thousand t-shirts with at like six to 10 pound a head with a Facebook event and, and sure. me and my business partner driving around in his old Citroen Saxo that he put backwards through a tree a year later. Um, so <laughs> it, was, it was the classic uh, coming up through the, the, the ranks, bread and butter. It was just very expedited for us. Um, as with many industries, as they mature, your ability to speed through them gets slowed because it naturally, the vertical, just how drawn out that bureaucratic organization is, it gets higher and higher and higher. Yeah. Uh, but we, we timed it right. And um, fortunately, picked up my first weekly when I was 23 and that was it. We were away. We got real lucky. It was the year that Jody Shaw launched. I was mates with everyone because that was who I partied with. Yeah. They came down, that kind of turbocharged the club night a little bit. And, and that's just been it ever since. I worked, I worked 206 Saturdays in a row without, without a weekend off. So 206, like pretty much exactly four years um, without a weekend off. And that was the level that I was of neuroticism slash dedication that I was prepared to go to. Um, 
and yeah, there was some good that came out of it, which was I got exposed to every bit of a business from HR, marketing, uh, B2B, B2C, customer, like everything, everything, accounts, full works. Um, some of the less advantageous stuff is that uh, you can quite quickly latch your sense of identity onto being a businessman if you become a businessman at an age where you don't have a fully formed sense of self. Yes. So you um, forget the person that you are, you forget the passions that you have and you then externalize them into the performance of the business. And that's great. You know, you see um, traders on wall street that are driven by their passion to be the best that they can be. I'm sure that in the insurance game, which is what you do, that there will be something similar to that, like quite an alpha go get a type a mentality, which sounds wonderful. But when that replaces who you are and you become the business you are you and the it are inseparable especially in an industry like uh nightclub promotion where everyone knows who you are right you're stood on the front door like the fucking guy that owns your insurance company isn't the guy that gives people their insurance policies you know like it's not him that's doing it so it's a very bizarre kind of um industry to work in in that way so yeah that was it yeah absolutely that kind of face of face of things the face of voodoo but um, that attachment that you had to be involved and on the front door and the, the poster boy, so to speak. But ultimately, that's probably paid off. I think a lot of the time that that long-term investment and discipline probably buys you freedom later down the line with respect to stepping away because you've seen, you've seen it up to a stage where it's almost self-sustaining or self-running and it doesn't maybe need Chris Williamson to be standing on the door now on a, on a Saturday night to, to make it a success. But you've also been through that process, like you said, from the very bottom, so to speak, of the business and every layer of it to understand what good looks like within that. And as a manager, I think that's probably invaluable to, to look down. and, and Man, Cam, you've hit, you've hit the nail on the head there. Yeah, for sure. Anyone that is an entrepreneur that likes the idea of, of being a, an MD or a CEO and paying themselves a dividend and doing all the rest of it, you have to be in a very unique industry to not have to earn your stripes. And for the people who like the sound of becoming an MD or a CEO or company owner, partner, whatever you want to call it, um, you have to concede that you're going to have to pay the price in terms of time served. Um, And that's for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it makes you more robust when problems occur. So there is no issue that me and my business partner encounter now after 13 years of doing it that we've never done before. I always make the joke that um, we're not actually that good at our job. We've just made mistakes for 13 years that we've never made twice. And that is kind of the way to do it. Another thing, like one of the boys will come up to us and they'll have some sort of a challenge about... I don't know how, what to say to people on street for PR or I'm not really too sure about how to construct my strategy for social media on Twitter. Or, I'm not really too sure about how to do the end of night accounts on this particular type of a, a door split or whatever it is. And I know everything. I know every single little bit because you've had to go up through that. And that gives you respect from the guys and it makes you invaluable as a, a contributor. You can be the fixer, right, for everything. And there's very few people that you have that are in that position. Um, so yeah, you know, young uh, entrepreneurs that are full of testosterone and gumption and want to make it to the top, like you have to earn your stripes. You've got to put that time in. Absolutely. I think that whole 
do as I say, not as I do, or do as I say, not as I've done is relevant with that example where you're speaking about from experience, you can give advice and that's, that's hugely valuable, valuable in all industries, not just, not just your own. And I certainly will always find greater respect for managers that I deal with that have achieved things that I potentially want to achieve or have been through situations that I, I'm due to experience or, 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 or I've already experienced and, and I can learn from their case study from that. And that's, that, that's a huge thing in all aspects of life. You, you mentioned that this period where you've managed Voodoo up to, up, up, up to a point, you're so heavily invested, you've come out of Love Island, you're having a bit of a, a crisis, so to speak, with your identity. Quarter life crisis, yeah. Yeah. You fell into self-development. What were, the, what were the key things that you did? You mentioned reading. Were there any particular ones that stood out? I know you said you threw enough shit at the wall that some of it's <laughs> stuck, but... I've I, I know from from listening over the years to Modern Wisdom that there's a there's a list of books on Amazon you recommend. But for the for the listeners today, what would you kind of call out as some of the key things that you started to implement in your life, and what did you what kind of content did you take in that that made the shift? Good question, um, man. I, I, I'll try and go back through. I don't think I've been asked this before, so I'll try and go back through it. Um, at first, so my my business was run a lot through my phone running it through my phone meant that I had a very low tolerance for lack of stimulus, just the dopamine kick level that my brain operates slash operated at um, was so high that I would really struggle to sit still. I voracious reader as a kid. Um, and I just downregulated that by just constantly being on WhatsApp. You know, when you receive, I think we receive somewhere in the region of half a million WhatsApp messages a year. Like that, I have to, there's a lot, that's a lot of phone time. So anyway, I, reading was a challenge. I started off with podcasts and long form YouTube content. Um, Jordan Peterson was a, a really big influence in the beginning, less so now. Um, but he was the first person that taught me that speaking the truth forward was something that was important. Uh, yeah. That was a, a primary realization for me was that, there may be people listening that feel the same. Um, you can create a persona which other people like, but unless that persona is you, genuinely, truthfully you, you'll never actually feel love. And this is an Aubrey Marcusism from an episode I did with him where he says that the persona is capable of receiving praise, but it can't receive love because love can only be given to you, whereas praise can only be given to an act that you play. So... That for me was a big realization. Um, I was like, look, fucking hell. I don't even know what my own opinion is. Someone asked me something yeah. and I'd, I'd think, what do they want to hear from me? And I would then say the thing that I thought they wanted. So I basically didn't even have my own opinion. So stripping away that ego took a lot of work. Um, there wasn't a massive amount of resources. I, like looking back, man, I could have been so much more fucking efficient. Like I was just yeah. the, the, the self-development route of, I don't know who I am. And there might be some people listening that feel the same. Like, I don't know who I am. Where do you go? Where, where do you go from there? It's like, what, the, what are you supposed to fucking do? Like it's a, a challenging question. I because think, I think <clears> when you're talking about that persona that you've put up and... I think all of us have different personas depending on which crowds that we're with as well. I think we have as many personalities as we have friends sometimes, but in particular where you're talking about thinking about what people want to hear, that's exhausting. 
because if you don't have a fully formed opinion on many things, that's can be a positive sometimes. But ultimately, if your opinion is based on what somebody else is going to like, how they're going to take it, that's exhausting. Because if you read somebody wrong, you maybe end up in an argument. Or if you read somebody wrong, but you fundamentally disagree with where their opinion is, but you've put that out there as your own, perhaps then that that is yeah, a, man. It's no very one, very, no very you're a bit confused. <laughs> yeah, it's very insightful as well. And you write about it being exhausting. The reason it's mostly exhausting is that you have to consciously create the answer that you're giving to every single second. Like your personality should be a byproduct of existing. You should just be riding the crest of now and naturally manifesting whatever it is that's in here, that's in your brain should flow nicely out of your mouth and it should be as precise and accurate as possible. I think that is for everybody. That is the goal. Be precise and accurate with your speech. That's another Jordan Petersonism. Um, but yeah, if you have to make it up, if you have to think of the answer, you have to create the answer each time. And that's what I found particularly um, challenging and, and exhausting about Love Island was that I was living this like uh, meta life where it was like, I wasn't Chris, I was Love Island Chris. Yeah. So anyway, in terms of content and other bits and pieces, Jordan Peterson was a big influence. You know, you can go back and listen to Maps of Meaning or his um, Discovering Personality series, both of which are available on YouTube. There's a playlist, you can move through them. Someone's done a rip on a torrent and you can download them as audio files or whatever. Like they're phenomenal. Um, a lot of Sam Harris, Sam really, really great, a little bit less prescriptive and a little bit less insightful, uh, probably a little bit harder to get into, but also wonderful. Alanda Botton from the School of Life is, he's great. He um, was probably the first person that taught me about vulnerability, uh, taught me that showing vulnerability wasn't a sign of weakness, but a sign of strength, um, which was something that coming up through a very alpha dominated um, industry and also, you know, being training, fitness, gym bro, all that stuff. Like yeah. it's easy to get kind of um, to tumble into thinking that showing any form of weakness is weakness, which is is completely not the truth because some of the strongest people that I know show their vulnerabilities all the time. That's, that's huge, isn't it? I think in this era where there is a heightened sense of well-being and improved mental health alongside the alpha stereotypes. Now I'm from the West of Scotland in Glasgow and that's no more prevalent than a it's probably the most prevalent in, in the UK in terms of what have you got to be sad about son, give yourself a shake, that kind of attitude. And yeah, yeah. you've kind of got the polar opposite of that where you've got this like very woke, uh, dare I say it, uh, snowflake culture as well. But where I found modern wisdom really interesting to listen to in your own journey where you're speaking about it is you can do self-development in yourself as a, as a, as a, as a young male without it being particularly what some would call woo-woo, woke, but also accepting that you can still be a strong, quote-unquote, alpha male who, who, who's in fantastic shape and works on themselves, but also works on themselves mentally and how they feel, which is hugely, hugely well, valuable. A, it, it is a sign of strength to be able to identify where your weaknesses are and be prepared to work on them. So that the the weakest people are the ones that pretend they have no weaknesses. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, I, I'd sometimes one of the funny kind of criticisms that I get online um, is that, what was it? What did someone say? Sexual bravado was what they said. And what they meant by that, I think was <clears throat> as somebody who consumes mindful content and, and is 
a tiny, tiny 0.01% of a thought contributor uh, to people's sense making through the podcast. You should not be talking about things that are as lowbrow as a hot Icelandic chick that you got to go away with. And it's like, no, this, this comes back to what me and you were talking about before we started, which is that people love to put you in boxes. They want you to be uh, the, the, the insurance guy, the, the club promoter guy, the intellectual guy. They don't like people that break those archetypes. But that for me is exactly where everything gets interesting. And that as well is the beauty of self-development and personal development shows you just how valuable being unique is. Um, George McGill, one of my friends, one of the best Modern Wisdom episodes I've ever done, said on that, uh, I'm amazed by how many people want to be spectacular, but also want to be liked and popular. Yeah. By definition, being normal means that you are regressing to the mean. Ordinary people get ordinary results. Extraordinary people get extraordinary results. And when you realize that that's the truth, when you genuinely realize that your power lies in all of the uniqueness, every single little bit of you that has something that can't be replicated by somebody else. Like, cause if you come out of Glasgow as cookie cutter, Glasgow, 27 year old lad, one one, where is your competitive advantage versus anybody else? Yeah. Where is your, where is your uniqueness of experience versus anybody else? Like, so yeah, again with that, um, Sam Harris, big influence, Orlando Botton, big influence school of life. YouTube channel is just, you can go for hours and hours and hours. And there's a wonderful partner website, I think called the book of, life um and that's like a fully indexed write-up of the scripts which he uses for his videos which uh, essentially you can read as articles um and you can choose to go through that that's that's wonderful um then is your, sorry to interrupt chris is your main learning style then very much visual to consume by youtube but also listening uh, yeah good question um Man, I, I kind of bounced between a lot of stuff. So I, I really had to learn to learn, which sounds bizarre because I did five years at Newcastle and did a master's in international yeah. marketing. But that wasn't learning. That was just rote memorization that I spewed back out. So I did, I, I completed my dissertation in 36 hours. Um, didn't sleep. That was my master's dissertation. I completed it in 30, 36 hours. Didn't sleep. Kept going downstairs to get a Red Bull out of the fridge while my mate was having a party. My housemate was having a party downstairs that lasted the full 36 hours. And um, yeah, like it, it was just a university and, and formalized education. And what I do now and what I'm interested in now might as well be different disciplines, uh, which yeah. is kind of really weird. Um, I learn best by finding something that I'm engaged with. That's it if I'm interested in what it is. So at the moment I'm reading a book about John Boyd, who was the fighter pilot, US Air Force fighter pilot that revolutionized the way that um, aircraft maneuverability works. So he created this thing called the energy maneuverability theory, yeah. uh, which is based, based in his experience as a fighter pilot. Or Alfred Lansing's book about um, endurance, his book about Sir Ernest Shackleton's crossing of the Antarctic. Or um, what else have I enjoyed recently that's been great? Uh, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl or a more hardcore version of Man's Search for Meaning, which is called The Forgotten Highlander by I've, Alistair Urquhart. Have you I've heard of that? Man's Search for Meaning and that was huge for perspective. I haven't heard of this. this what was, Forgotten what was Highlander. Called? Man, okay. Forgotten Highlander by Alistair Urquhart. It will take your head off. So okay. imagine Man's Search for Meaning and then make it at least 
at least twice or three times as hardcore. So this guy, this guy is captured by the Japanese, basically has diseases for four years, builds the bridge over the river Kwai, gets locked in a tin box out in the middle of the, the um, swamps to like die in the heat, doesn't die. They can't, essentially just won't die. And it's not because he's some alpha man, it's just that he's got a resilient makeup. I think he's Scottish or uh, a quite a resilient hardy bunch. And um, then he gets locked in this death ship, gets sent across... Uh, from Japan to like one of the other islands um, where he doesn't have any food or water for like 30 days in this 120 degree Fahrenheit tin box with these guys in there still doesn't die then he's working in Nagasaki and gets knocked off his feet by the blast from the atomic bomb that gets dropped on it still doesn't die then keeps quiet for 50 years goes back to Scotland keeps quiet for 50 years and writes this as a memoir that's a call to arms for the Japanese government for the atrocities that they they caused and I'm just reading this book and I've, I've got no interest in military history. I've got no real interest in that, but it was so engaging and so well-written that I loved it. So, you know, if there's someone that's listening that thinks, ah, oh, yeah, it's all fucking well and good. The boys talking about how much they enjoy learning and self-development, but that's not really for me. And it's like, no, it is for you. You just haven't found the voice that speaks to you Huge. because if you, if you can enjoy what it is that you're consuming, and then come out the other end of it, an upgraded version of the person that went in. It's like, well, it's, the, it's the edutainment, which I fucking hate. Like, what a <laughs> shite word. But it's the edutainment kind of world now that it's coming up. And this is one of the reasons why I think that trying to bridge the gap, which I think you're trying to do with your podcast and I, I'm, I try to do with Modern Wisdom, which is to help people to, to learn and improve themselves and become a better version of them. Um, whilst kind of slipping it in low key they don't really realize that they're learning and then before they know it they they actually have a really good understanding of how investment banking works or how the stock market works or how our search for extraterrestrial civilizations is is restricted by our linguistic uh, dispositions and you know all manner of magic so yeah i think try and find the stuff that really resonates with you um, man's search for meaning is a an early early on a uh, book, book that I consumed was absolutely fantastic. Uh, meditation was a, a really great insight, learning to quieten my thoughts, learning to be able to be present in the moment. Again, you know, it's a great counter to a world where we are always on communication, far too much dopamine kicks, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Again, so much to, to unpack there. And just to recap on that point where you found sources that stimulated you to to kickstart and continue your personal development and your self-development that meets your goals. And that'll be the same for, like I say, like you've said, everyone listening who perhaps doesn't feel that it's applicable to them, it's just because they haven't found that source yet that's been right for them to capture their attention, to capture their interest, and for them to get something from. Many of my friends who have started to go on personal development journeys at the start of 2019 or 2020 with their new year's resolutions that kind of thing one of the first kind of entry level books that i said was just simply how to win friends and influence people because it's so easy to read it's so actionable and if that perks your interest then then you go on to the next one you go on to the next mm, book you go on to the mm. next and like you say it might be that the forgotten highlander is is that book for for somebody mm. else or it might be that it's a jordan peterson video i know personally mm. that it was, a, it, was a, it was a number of years ago now that I read um, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And it was one of those books where you say, oh, I'm going to read a, read a chapter a night before bed. But you just went through it. 
and I was taking <laughs> notes on the side and I just knew straight away there was four to five things that I could take away from it. And then mm. further down the line, it turns out you're reading heavier stuff like Man's Search for Meaning, which is really, really harrowing, but hugely yeah. valuable. I don't know about yourself. I know from my experience that one of the ways that I take a lot of the lessons on board and implement them is through my Instagram, not typically a grid post, but on a story, what I'll do is I'll share maybe a book that I've read and what I've learned from it. And one of the best ways to integrate something is to then try and teach it onto others. And the way you've talked about the Forgotten Highlander there, it's clearly resonated with you and you're able mm. to then verbalize Distill that. Distill it and throw precisely. it back out, yeah. yeah. And that's, 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 that's huge because it, you can see the impact that that's had on you and the way that you're able to precisely describe it and, and tell, tell the lessons from it that's probably going to help it remain with you even further down the line. Well, very much so, man. The, 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 the two things that make memories uh, instantiate, this is from Laura Vanderkam's Off the Clock, um, two things that make memories happen are novelty and intensity. So it's the reason why your drive to work this morning, well, probably not this morning because we're doing this during lockdown, uh, your drive to work uh, from a couple of weeks ago will be condensed down into a memory that is every drive to work you've ever done. You might drive to work 500 times, but in your memory banks, it's essentially just one journey, unless something very novel or intense happens, like a car crash, or like you get a phone call that says you've won the lottery, or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, but on the converse of that, think about the last time that you went away on holiday to somewhere new. I can remember a trip that I took to Africa a year and a bit ago, I remember the book that the guy that checked me in at the first of five hotels of that trip was carrying. I remember the way that it looked. I remember his favorite bird that was in the book. I remember the way that his shoes looked and they squeaked as we walked to the boat. I remember everything because when your brain is somewhere new, it doesn't know what it needs to remember. So it just opens up. So it goes, right, I'm just going to remember everything because his shoes might actually be really, really important for me to survive at some point in the future. Um, it turned out that they weren't, but you know, I'm glad that I can still recall those. So you know, novelty and intensity are two great ways to do that. And one fantastic way to use that as a trick to ensure that you try and retain information is to read books that are about different, different people, different situations to you. And this is the value for me in personal development of non-personal development books. There's a, a huge um, subculture now of this kind of like, Silicon Valley wank bros like fucking circle jerk session of people talking about what's the new optimization strategy of this yeah man have you read oh yeah well I can recite atomic habits in three minutes flat and blah 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 and it's like yeah there's a there is an absolutely a place for that stuff but after a while you realize that each book especially in personal development most 99% of books are a blog post or a tweet that's been expanded out and fleshed out with a bunch of examples and a load of hyperbole to a 250 page book. So, you know, atomic habits, actually, I've mentioned it there. Anybody that wants to start the self-development journey, the easiest book to begin with, as far as I'm concerned is atomic habits. It's not quite as narrative or, or kind of fun based as some other books, but page for page, it will change your life faster than pretty much any other book I think that's out there. Have you read it? Yeah, I have done. And one of the reasons that is it was so powerful, and I think that a lot more people 
our age will get involved in it is because James now James Clear has now got a decent Instagram profile too. So yeah, he does. It, just the little messages he puts up every day just reinforce what you read in the book. And I bang on and on about habits and routines being so much more valuable than motivation or even discipline because when it comes to a fitness perspective, which I'm sure we'll touch on, having a habit and routine that's built in is completely invaluable compared to being fired up for six weeks before your holiday <laughs> and, yeah. and doing that for six weeks a year. That's, that, 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 that comes and goes. And the habits and the, the habit loops and how those are reinforced, that was, it's so well explained by James that, yeah, that, that's, that's probably one of the most powerful books that I've read. And one of the benefits as well was, I know he was in Modern Wisdom, but he's been on other podcasts as well. And just listening to him verbalize that as well just helps you to. Yeah, he's a beast, man. The guy is so legit. Like he, he, he's the real, the real, real deal. And um, you know, to to have someone who has the, his ability to write, um, his breadth of connections. So you know, he can go and speak to China's chief weightlifting coach and ask him about what's a good a good habit routine for his athletes, and then obviously understands the neuroscience, the uh, psychology, <clears throat> everything. He understands the the, the, the entire. Uh, subject area so you don't need to read anything else about it's the same as uh, thinking fast and slow you don't if you can read other psychology books but if you want the 80 20 on psychology just read thinking fast and slow by daniel kahneman if you want the 80 20 on habit probably like the 90 10 on habit making and habit breaking just read atomic habits by james clear uh, another great book um again we're, we're talking a lot about books here but these are easily easily consumed on audible i wouldn't advise um thinking fast and slow on audible because there's a lot of visual exercises you have to do which are ugly as hell when they try and describe them yep. um chasing excellence by ben bergeron have you read that i've not no oh man it is so it's a description of the coach to the fittest man and fittest woman on earth of the 2015 or 2016 crossfit games and it's a book about excellence he is very very into precision making the most of minutes both of his athletes are incredibly precise with the way that they operate. Um, it, it reads like a storybook. It's a storybook about sport. Um, and before you know it, you're actually internalizing a bunch of really, really powerful lessons about demanding a lot from yourself. So that's, that's a great, a great one. That's, that's, that's brilliant. And that's a, a huge list of potential content for anyone looking to embark on that self-development journey or restart it or continue it, whatever mm -hmm. stage of your journey you're at. That's a fantastic list there that people can before we move on let me let me drop a let me drop a couple more in so podcasts make sure that you subscribe to this one because i'm sure that you're going to be releasing some amazing content over the next few months uh modern wisdom obviously hey um other stuff that's great chasing excellence by ben bergeron's great making sense by sam harris joe rogan's joe rogan experience is the og for a reason yeah um let me think about what else kind of really moves the needle so Stuff that I've really, really enjoyed recently. I've got back into Jordan Peterson's podcast, and I thought that that was very enjoyable. Um, a lot of those are live lectures and things like that. Um, ben Shapiro has a really, really great daily podcast, Monday to Friday, which tells you everything that's going on in the world. Just yeah. if you want to sound like you know what's going on in the world, that's a I good option. I dip in and out of that because although a lot of people would view him as quite controversial and potentially as politics, some people wouldn't agree with, 
he articulates it so well and kind of counters those kind of challenges by by logic and and, and, and knowledge. So you can't help but have the utmost respect for how he man. It's vicious. His yeah, it, absolutely. And again, that one of the words that we keep coming back to here is precision. Um, and Ben is incredibly precise with his speech. And for people who perhaps maybe don't have an outlet, there might be someone listening who doesn't have an outlet um, where they can have a, a deep conversation like the one that we're having now. First off, you should, because for far more of you than realize, it's a wonderful therapy. It's a great way to hone your communication skills. It genuinely is enjoyable. You come out of it, you've learned something, the other person's learned something, your ability to converse has improved. All of these things are great. But if you go and listen to Ben Shapiro, do any of his own live shows, or also then have a debate with someone, he is like a surgeon with a scalpel or like a sniper that's up on a rooftop. The man is outstandingly precise. There's no more words than used than are needed. Um, and he, he's very, very quick. So, you know, that's one of the reasons that I enjoy some of his content, but yeah, I mean, chasing excellence again, anyone that's into fitness, man, that podcast is, it, you should have to pay for it. You should it genuinely have to, there should be a fucking paywall. Patreon. It's that good. It, honestly, it's yeah. I'd, I would happily pay 10 pounds a month just to have access to the content that they're putting out for free. So yeah, there's, there's some thinking about some other books, um, school of life and emotional education. That's fantastic. Um, Indistractable by Nir Eyal. That's kind of good if you're into uh, looking at developing work habits, productivity habits, and things like that. Um, I mentioned that Endurance by Alfred Lansing. That was that was like amazing and totally blew my head off. Um, at the moment, I'm reading a lot of evolutionary psychology, so that's okay. kind of my new flex at the moment. Um, Robert Wright's The Moral Animal. Um, I've never read something where every paragraph is a mic drop and the book's 600 pages long and the whole thing is just <laughs> mic drop after mic drop after mic drop after mic drop. Um, again, wonderful, wonderful book. Um, so yeah, there's some. Brilliant. So like I said, a huge list of books, resources online to go to there. And all of that's caveated by when you read these, make sure you fucking take action on them. Don't just, uh, don't, <laughs> yeah, don't, just don't, yeah. don't, don't just, don't just read, don't be the guy that's read absolutely every single self-development book and said, complete it, mate, because you've not, because unless you've implemented it, it's, it's not really been a worthwhile exercise. Well, what's that? What's that Bruce Lee quote? I fear not the man that has practiced 10,000 kicks one time. I fear the man that's practiced one kick 10,000 times. And that's the same. Everybody that I know, Shane Parrish from Farnham Street, if you want a great resource, fs.blog. That I forget that. So Farnham Street, the Knowledge Project, unbelievable. I keep on stealing his guests after he's had them on. So Rory Sutherland was his, and then I got him, and then a couple of other people have been his, and then I got him. Now Rory, Rory's a beast. Alchemy, if you're into behavioral psychology, Alchemy by Rory Sutherland, cool book. Um, But yeah, Shane Parrish is is just completely wonderful. Absolutely, like fantastic human um but he has this thought about people that consume content and he says um i would much sooner read the hundred best books over and over for the rest of my life than uh, i have to read anything else and that's precisely the same the same point that there are a number of people out there yusuf who's one of the like semi co-hosts of modern wisdom is falls into this category he calls it ruthless indexing of information and he will consume 
index, make an Evernote about it with the summary, and then it just gets carded away and, and that's it. And he never revisits it. Whereas one of the advantages, I think, of actually having a little bit of a slower rate of consumption, which I do partly because um, I'm still getting back up to speed with reading as a lot of people that are listening, you know, they might not have been reading for a long time, perhaps since even sort of school or full formal education or been a yeah. little while. Like, you know, even if you can just read five pages a day, 10 pages a day, even, even if one page a day, like just begin the reading habit and it will, it will get easier over time. Um, but one of the advantages of doing that is that you, you don't get overwhelmed with information for the first time ever. You know, you, you scroll through Twitter or Instagram or Facebook and it's just, it's like a pressure hose. It's getting pressure hosed in the face with stuff. And you're like, fuck, 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 fuck. Like, I just can't keep this going. Whereas if you read a little bit more slowly, you actually allow the information to sink in and your attention will improve over time. I promise you that it will. Because my memory, ability to do memory and recall and stuff it was embarrassing. So bad. Um, and Bill mostly is again, it's just through sheer fucking brute force that I'm able to recall anything. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you, you will get better if you do anything sufficiently consistently, you will get better, whether that be mobility, lifting, reading, meditation, sleeping eight hours a night, you know, whatever it might be, you'll get better. Yeah. There's a lot there. Um, I think you've touched on novelty. So, and you've mentioned there about mobility and, and sleep. Let's, let's talk a little bit about how, what role does fitness play and what role has it played alongside your busy, hectic career, particularly now that you're, you've got such a hectic podcast schedule as well. What does, what does fitness look like for you? How does it contribute? How does it fit in? Cool. Um, so fitness has been there throughout pretty much my entire life. I played a lot of cricket as a kid. So I played for Durham in England as a kid uh, up until I was 17, then went to uni um, and went to seed very quickly because you find girls and you find a business and you find entrepreneurship and making money and other things that kind of distract you. Um, but that was, that was great. And that gave me an athletic base. I've always been interested in fitness. Um, and then yeah, kind of got into bro splits, standard stuff, very, very typical push pull legs, uh, chest Mondays, full works, you know, like, um, Jack 3d when it still had essentially an amphetamine, uh, analogous compound in it. Bad that was man. fun. Man, it's honestly, I just, I live for the day when they're going to bring the proper Jack 3D back. Uh, no, that's bullshit. But that was, you know, that, that was me, the Ziz era, Zizbro era, like that was me as well. Like that, you know, through fully done and dusted, tiny shorts, tiny vest. Like that was, that was the way I operated for a while. Um, and then got to my mid to late twenties. Uh, and there's something that I call the fitness menopause, which a lot of people listening I've, you uh, might be I've spoken with. to Daz Charles about this and I think you two have got, uh, been, been the same way. Like, <laughs> I, I, I infected him with fitness menopause. Yeah, I, I, I believe infected that. him with it. And at the turn of this year, he was on to me and I think you've been on my, my friend uh, Ro Anwar's podcast as well. And he was on to both of us saying, Chris, Chris put me through it. I'm going to put you through it because it, um, you're getting once that you age. take that red pill, once you take the fitness red pill, I promise you. So let yeah, me, let's... let me see if we can, let's red pill some of your audience. Um, if you're listening and all that you've ever done is train for aesthetics in your fitness journey, ask yourself this question. Do I like looking better or do I like exercising? Because those aren't the same thing. The reason that people do bodybuilding 
is because it's got the lowest barriers to entry of any physical sport ever created. You can go into a gym as someone who's never lifted a weight before, and I can show you how to do a supinated bicep curl. And within a couple of sets, you can do it to within probably an 80% level of competence that I can as someone who's done it for 15 years. Why? Because it's easy. Because it isn't challenging. And people do not like doing stuff that they suck at. That's why weightlifting is the worst sport in the world if you have an ego. Because you're doing two lifts for the rest of time and both of them are really fucking hard. Like they're essentially, like the snatch is essentially an impossible movement. And people do two lifts for the rest of time. Whereas, think about bodybuilding. You've got very, very mechanical low barriers to entry. Bench press is just what you do when you open a door. You know, a, a single arm row is what you do when you open a door from the other side. Um, you know, all of these different movements are incredibly easy for people to do. And you get externalized rewards. There's no one that's bothered about how fit you are. They're bothered about how fit you look. And with that, you discard ever being actually fit in place of always looking kind of fit. And yeah. That's, sorry, this is, man. No, this is, this, is, this is huge because at the time of recording, we're in lockdown and I have been so attached to training for aesthetics for maybe eight, eight or nine years. Before that, I trained strength and conditioning for rugby and that's how I got into the gym. But then got some shoulder injuries, started to do all the rehab and was like, wow, my arms are looking class now because I'm training five days a week rather than playing rugby two days a week. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And during this period, during lockdown with COVID-19 going on, you've had to adjust your training hugely. I'm doing so much more bodyweight stuff. I'm doing a little bit of running. And although I look in great shape, I'm actually not that fit compared to <laughs> if, like, compared to somebody that maybe runs more regularly or is, that has more cardiovascular training. And it's been a bit of a, an eye-opener in following this conversation you heard, hearing what you said before, but also the conversation with Daz, I was thinking, wow, I, I need to revisit this. It's coming, course, man. That fitness menopause is fucking coming for you. Whether you want it to or it's going to happen. Um, so yeah, you get to your late 20s and you start to realize um, you're chronically aware of your own mortality as you approach 30, which is obviously bollocks. You know, like it's, you've got nothing to worry about. 30 is great. Um, but you start to think, oh, fuck's sake, like, is this all that there really is to fitness? you maybe start to realize that just going in and doing another session of curls is kind of not really that cool. Um, and you're just a little bit in- disengaged or disenchanted with your training. And that was how I felt. I, I just had no passion to train. <clears throat> you know, let's, let's kind of lay it on the line. Bodybuilding training for someone who is a non-competitive bodybuilder and doesn't have a training partner is the equivalent of going to a room looking in the mirror and steeping in your own neuroses as you move your muscles and watch your muscles move, that is no way, nobody on the planet can say that that is a fully rounded health and fitness routine. <clears throat> because it isn't. Like, is it better than sitting on the couch? Absolutely. Like, I will, you know, get moving. Great. But so many people that are listening will wildly enjoy a more rounded training plan than just... I want to train purely for aesthetics. Yeah, and that's huge. I, uh, I think the, the kind of crisis point for me was having trained for quite a long time, still being a natural athlete. I think I gained about one and a half kilos of muscle last year and I bulked for like 
eight months. And, then I, <laughs> and, I, and I looked, I looked, I looked the exact same. Now, I never really got fat. I, I just don't do that. But I was eating 4,000 calories. I was training hard. I was tracking the log book, getting like an extra rep a week because that's what you get when you've been training for that long and you're doing yeah. the same movements and the same, yeah. the same routine for years and years and years. And I know that perhaps taking a slightly different approach and I'm not saying I would go full CrossFit like yourself, but to move towards that. Soon. Don't speak too soon. I know, I know. You get, <laughs> but you can Daz, Daz told me, Daz told me he would never do CrossFit and look at him now crossfit nottingham t-shirts pair of reebok nanos high socks long shorts full so, words and i think one of the huge things with crossfit that i know from friends that do it is the is the connection and the team aspect of it as well which is like you say if you don't have a training partner and you're not a competitive bodybuilder you are it's quite a lonely existence and Man, it's a fucking it's an absolutely brutal existence and you've got to generate your own motivation Every time that you go into the gym and the movements aren't engaging, like a, a supinated bicep curl is the least exciting movement on the planet. And like, I've done tens of thousands of them, so it's fine. I'm allowed to, I'm allowed to badmouth it. But the difference between that, and I'm not saying, I do not believe by any stretch of the imagination that CrossFit is the answer to people's problems. What I am saying is that you have a million ways to deploy your love for exercise and create some fitness and create some good physical adaptations that aren't bodybuilding. And if all that you've ever done is try bodybuilding, I highly recommend that you try and do something else. Try Thai boxing or, or, or uh, kickboxing. Like it will annihilate you. If you want to, I uh, want to get lean, bro. Like do not do, do not let me see you doing 50 minutes of fasted list cardio on a stepper on a morning time. Why are you not going and, and drilling yourself some cool movements, learning a skill and <clears throat> doing it and uh, connecting with some of the people and being like, Oh my God, like I've actually got a much better workout in. It didn't even feel like a workout because I'm, I'm thinking really hard. Oh wow. I can actually throw a jab. Oh wow. I can actually do this. Yeah. Maybe it's a triathlon. Maybe it's biking. Maybe it's doing intervals. Maybe it's joining a rowing team. Maybe it's doing yoga or Pilates or, you know, there are so many different ways that you can get your fitness to go. The reason that CrossFit works as a transitional uh, sport for guys like yourself and guys like me and Daz Charles, the reason it works is it has some of the elements of what we want, which is progressive overload, uh, a degree of, uh, of loading and um, cardio into it. It has intensity, which means that it's time efficient, which is great. And you have externalized motivation to the class because if you rock up and you're not feeling it today and you're going to do a bodybuilding session on your own, you'll fart out like a, a shoulders and biceps session and scroll through your phone for three quarters of an hour and then go home and say that you've done it. You go into a class, a CrossFit class or a Thai boxing class or a yoga class or a Pilates class or anything where there's other people in the room that are doing it and a coach that's taking you through it. And you're not feeling it that day. As soon as you're done with your warm up, you've forgotten that because everyone else is getting after it. And especially in CrossFit, you've got, if you're listening to kill switch engage at a level that will make your ears bleed, like you are going to lift the weight and you're going to lift it fast and hard. Like that is happening, right? So that, that's simply the way it is. So I, I implore the people that are listening, if you haven't tried a different form, uh, a different pathway to allow that passion that you have in fitness to, to manifest, then go and try something. 
I don't think there's ever going to be a better time than when we start to return to normality after this current period. And that's potentially been that kickstart for me. I love the feeling of going in and getting a pump and progressing and improving. But ultimately, I think there's, there is more to fitness, as you've said. And CrossFit, I've already been Googling where I can maybe get access to it, but also Googling like what the workouts look like so I can maybe transition. So maybe do two days a week doing my hypertrophy stuff and then the other three days a week doing some conditioning stuff alongside my training so that it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's moving towards that and just trying to be a bit more of a hybrid athlete and a bit more of somebody who is fit. The, the one thing that I would say that bodybuilding has definitely benefited from me and that, or that style of training is the discipline it requires because it is in order to eke out progress at this stage, you have to be <laughs> not anal, but you have to be quite, quite on point. And yeah, very that, much so, man. that definitely transfers over into working life and self-development. Like the majority of people I know that are into that type of training would be quite good employees in some ways. If you can put them in the right, um, right industry, if they bring oh, absolutely, man. Behaviors. It's why look at look at look at any powerlifter. I bet I, I would guess that there are more accountants that are powerlifters than any other uh, discipline in the world. Why? Well, it's because they like things to be very quantified, and they like to know what their percentages are going to be, and they want to have everything tracked on a spreadsheet, and they want to do this, that, and the yeah. other. It's like why do creatives like to go and do yoga or kind of this movement culture, Edo Portal type stuff? Oh, it's because kind of don't really want barriers and I want to kind of, you know, you see people's personalities manifest in the way that they enjoy their fitness. Yeah. And it's the same for me, you know, like I, uh, for all that I get my energy from being on my own. So by definitely like a classic definition of an introvert, I actually feel um, alive when I'm around other people and I just need a little bit of time to kind of chill out after that. But yeah, you know, for you and for anyone else that's taking up a new sport, here's my advice for the first eight weeks that you do it, do not go above an eight out of 10 in terms of output, especially for something that is mechanically, uh, difficult like CrossFit um, yeah. or for anything else, yoga, Pilates, whatever it might be, because that top 20% is where the injuries are going to occur. And until you've had the adaptations that you need, you're going to get those. But final vote, my final reason to put on the side of try something new is that if you enjoy your training, truly genuinely enjoy your training, because there's novelty and there's newness and you're doing skill development and stuff like that, you will train harder, you will train more consistently, and you will train with using less willpower actual like proper willpower because you're going to want to do it right what were we saying about before with the personal development the best way to do your personal development is to find something that speaks to you because then you're going to want to consume it as opposed to having to force feed it down yourself and that's the reason why my physique pre and post crossfit don't look the same my physique post crossfit pisses all over the way that i looked uh, after crossfit looks way better than it did do before because my body, it would appear, uh, responds quite well to high levels of intensity. I had um, externally uh, programmed uh, overload, progressive overload in movements that I hadn't done before. Uh, I realized that the thin waist, that like V taper that every bro really, really wants, actually is just an identifier of the fact that you've got a weak as fuck midline. Like if you think that you can stand with 100 kilos overhead, it's not like, it's like two matchsticks. Uh, two golf balls with a matchstick in the middle and there's just nothing to hold it together at all. And I was like, Oh, but like, I've done tens of thousands of crunches, bro. And I've got a six pack. Like why, why, why isn't I've got, I've obviously got a strong middle. It's like, no, no, you don't at all. Like you have a strong set of abs ish 
you have a you have a lean chunky set of abs and and that's it and then you realize that the guys that do the sport or some of my buddies that do mixed martial arts or do uh, Thai boxing or whatever it might be they walk around in the condition that I had to diet myself into to get to with bodybuilding yeah. because the byproduct of intensity, progressive overload, a desire to train, maybe doing two a day and not even thinking about it. Like you get in better condition just without even thinking about yeah. it. The output's there and it's so taxing that, and the disciplines of nutrition with CrossFit are quite good as well. Cause you have to fuel yourself adequately. So it's you, you eat well as a, as a, as a byproduct that otherwise you, you turn up, half cooked and obviously your session is going to be really as well. yeah no that's 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 huge and it's it, it's a real challenge and a lot of people listening will find that a, a real challenge because that's that's where that's where i was until recently as well in terms of that real attachment don't get me wrong i've not really had a problem with the motivation to go in and train hard it's just such an ingrained habit for me however this period particularly and some of the conversations i've had have really challenged that am I actually particularly fit or do I just look like I'm very fit or mm -hmm. aesthetic, whatever that is. But when you see the top level CrossFit, cross, CrossFit athletes, but also people like yourself who are like a high level or, or you're high level recreational CrossFit participant, you walk around in fantastic condition, like you say, and it's probably even easier to maintain. There's no off season bulking bro, physiques which i mean just that's never appealed to me because i like to look in the mirror and be happy with what i see most of the time rather than oh no i'm gaining really hard now so that in six months time wait till you see the final product i look, I look all right for those couple of weeks i'm in napa yeah wow. mate it's fucking bullshit like that and there's another thing what have we been talking about today that routine consistency habits uh, you are what you repeatedly do therefore excellence is not an act but a habit all that sort of stuff. Like I think that inherently built into the bodybuilding um, ecosystem is an inconsistency that is disruptive for people's lives. How can you say that the optimal way to have a fitness lifestyle is to have two completely diametrically opposed focuses on how you do your fitness each year? Six months yeah. of the year, I'm going to bulk or maybe probably eight months of the year I'm going to bulk and four months of the year I'm going to cut. And they couldn't look any different. They couldn't look any different in the way that you feel, in the way that you aesthetically come across, in what you're um, training for in terms of your fitness. Like for some people, there are some people out there, I've got some buddies who love bodybuilding. They genuinely, genuinely love it and they're not going to go away from it. And for them, amazing because they've found their fitness. But the main point I want people to take away from this section is ask yourself, have you found the thing that you love in fitness or did you just go for the, the output that had the, the outlet that had the lowest barriers to entry and you've never decided to look at anything else? Cause I'd hazard a guess a lot of people are going to be the second. Yeah, completely fair. There's been so many, so such a long period of my life where I definitely did find my fitness and I found what I loved and that was bodybuilding style training. But there comes a stage where, you hit that menopause period and you, you start to think, is there, is, is there more to this? And novelty, novelty can be a, a, a big benefit. Don't get me wrong, there's been times where I'm so glad that I've been into that bodybuilding style training because it's been such, a, such an outlet for me and you get such a benefit from it. But you sometimes outgrow it. If you're not, not going to be a competitive bodybuilder and you're not going to be competing in shows and even some of the shows you compete in are like what, regional qualifiers for 
some federation that doesn't really drug test. I mean, it's, no uh, one that no no one even knows. Yeah, I mean that this came up on a podcast we did the other day about isolation hacks. If you're really 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 worried right now about being in lockdown because being in lockdown means that you're prep to come fifth in a regional bodybuilding competition where five people are going to show up in the crowd is now out of the window. You need to have a more holistic view of your fitness yeah. because you're not doing fitness. You're doing training so that you get accolade from other people and coming, coming fifth in the Ashington and Northeast area, like semi pro 65 to 75 kilo bodybuilding show in the fitness category is just like, yeah. come on, you know, yeah. like it, it, it's not there. But it, final point on that is Johnny from propane took a break from powerlifting and he did CrossFit for nine months. So he wanted to have a break. He was bored with powerlifting. He kept getting injured. He missed a couple of comps and he didn't, he wasn't PBing his deadlift. Um, and he just took a break and did something different. It's not like you have to do this thing for life, you know, but if you're feeling a little bit disenchanted and unenamored with your training, then try something different. And then maybe your love for your original sport will come back. Yeah, there's, that's, that's been two absolutely brilliant segments that we've covered there for the listeners. And I guess the last thing that I would like to chat about very briefly, Chris, is that sobriety piece that you've spoken about. I've, from a lot of people that follow me on Instagram will know that I'm not a big drinker. I drank during university, during the first couple of years and started to scale that down as I just felt less and less fulfillment from it. And then since working in my graduate job, I was down to like five, six times a year. And that's been the case for the last five years in terms of just picking special occasions. And then more recently, I drank on my birthday in October. And then just kind of during December when you, there's the most offers to do so, I just decided it wasn't, wasn't really for me. And I, you, you're, you're, you're the man that articulates it best. But mm. the, the, the kind of the clarity I have, the more time I have, more money I've got than ever before. Although that's been a benefit drinking five, six times a year, you get a lot more money. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The benefits are, are just colossal. And I guess over to yourself to talk a little bit about your own experience with it and uh, some of the resources you've got available as well. Got you. So I'm a club promoter and I've watched a million people go into nightclubs ish of events that we've run. Um, never had a problem with substances never had a dependency on alcohol or or anything else. Um, Never been a big drinker either. Uh, I was what I would class as a promoter drinker, which is maybe once every fortnight, maybe once every three weeks, I'd go, but I'd go, I'd go pretty hard. Um, You know, just classic kind of young idiot drinking. Um, And yeah, it was about three years ago. I realized that I was just, I didn't have anything left to learn from drinking. And this coincides, you can kind of see here, there is a, an inflection point where everything changed at once. Uh, and James Clear, actually, when you're talking about habits, would say, try and change things in, in stages. But there's also an argument to be made, in my opinion, where you can make such a large change that dominoes topple together. And this was what happened about three years ago. So it was the um, genesis of me stopping drinking. It was the genesis of me starting CrossFit. It was also kind of as I really, really started to dig my teeth into the personal development stuff. So, you know, you, you can make a lot of progress in one go if, it, if it's cohesive, if it feels like it's all part of one journey. Yeah. So I decided I was going to take a break from alcohol for six months. I just wanted to challenge myself and see if I could do it for six months. Um, I did. And 
yeah, you're right. You've hit two of the three, which is money and time, but calories is the third. So what I say, the, the three key benefits that you get from going sober are more time, more calories, and more money to spend on things that you truly care about. Um, and you realize that they genuinely are wasted. You know, if you're under the age of probably 21, 22, you've still got a lot to learn from drinking, I think. Um, it's a much more challenging conversation to say culturally should we legalize a drug, which if it was created now would be classed as a class a based on its toxicity and its addictive nature and stuff like that. It's here. We can't change the fact that it's here. Maybe in 200, 300 years, alcohol won't be, but we don't know. Um, however, the age of under uh, 18 to 22, you want to know what it's like to, um, lose your keys in Manchester, uh, and have a, an argument with your drunken argument with your girlfriend or boyfriend or, or best mate, because, that will allow you to have representative experiences, which mean that you can relate to other people when you grow up. If you don't have that, it's like, it's like those kids whose parents um, make them grow up without having a TV in the house or something like they just don't have a very uh, representative experience to relate to other people. And you want that you want, you want to be able to connect with other people. So I don't have a problem with people under that age. My issue with people who drink is people who continue being that weekend warrior from when they were 20, 21, 22 yeah. for the next 20 or 30 years, you know, taking two steps forward and two steps back every week is a tragedy. And it is one of the, one of the worst, scariest things that I see, you know, this 30 year old, 40 year old, 50 year old guy or girl who has bags and bags of potential, but just keeps on doing it every week because their mates love the sesh and they've never yeah. thought, well, perhaps, I'm undoing a lot of hard work that I do during the week. And, you know, people that are weekend warriors that are listening will know this, this cadence, this rhythm that they have to their week. You know, Monday, I maybe get over the weekend, Tuesday, go to the gym, have a good one. Wednesday, go to the gym, have a good one. Thursday, fucking hell, I'm really getting up some speed here. Friday. Ah, uh, well, I've had, a, I've had a bit of a hard week. You know, I've used up all my willpower this week. I, I feel like I deserve a drink. Don't I, I deserve a drink? Don't I? Yeah. Should we go for a pint after work? And then, that's it. Down the rabbit hole you go. And then, you know, depending on where your proclivities lie for partying, that might be you until Sunday. That might be two parties. That might be barbecue. It might be family dues. It might be whatever. And um, I, I found that making one change, which was going sober, had essentially an unlimited number of downstream benefits. I was more sharp mentally. I had much better consistency because I was never the only time that I got knocked off my routine was when I was ill but a hangover is a self-imposed <laughs> illness you're choosing to make yourself ill that's what it is yeah. and you you know people take time oh fucking hell you know I was in such a good rhythm at the gym and then I, I got ill and now I've really struggled to get that back you are doing that to yourself every time that you choose to go out and get off your face and oh, well, it doesn't really matter for me, mate, because uh, you see, I don't really go out that much, but I, me and the wife will have, you know, maybe two, three bottles a week of wine. and Maybe maybe a bottle on a night, on a Friday. And you're like, right, okay, what do you think that your sleep could be if you weren't going to bed half cut every night? So I had um, a guy called Kevin Smith, the dude that owns Battle Oats, Battle Snacks, it's now called. Uh, I had him on as a beta tester two years ago on my sobriety course. And it's just this, it's getting people to go sober. It's guiding them through it. It's giving them the tools that make going sober easy. It gives them accountability in a group and it gives them some kind of real um, gentle introductions to some cool personal development concepts so that the time where they have increased consistency, they're not just taking a break that's a detox. They're actually using that time to fully upgrade themselves. And then when they reintegrate alcohol, if they choose to do it afterwards, after 28 days, 90 days or six months, they are, they've, 
carried all of this new version of them with them. And this guy, Kevin, said, um, I spoke to him at the end, did a review at the end of his dry January challenge that we did together. And he's like, mate, do you know what it is? For my entire adult life, I thought that I was a bad sleeper. But it turned out I wasn't a bad sleeper. It's just that I was going to bed half cut every night with a couple of bottles of wine in me. And I, I, I just didn't, I, it's been mental. I, I, I didn't know. Also, by the way, um, I, I haven't ever taken a break from smoking for longer than a week for 10 years. But I haven't smoked throughout all of January because I discovered that my trigger for smoking was drinking. So when I stopped drinking, I stopped smoking. Yeah. And you're like, holy fucking shit. Oh, by the way, we also had a, a record-breaking month at work. Oh, by the way, me and my missus did it together and our relationship's stronger than ever. Oh, by, I'm just thinking, fuck me. Like, this is the magic sauce. You know, people are yeah. looking for what the secret is. Where's the, where does the magic lie? What's the thing I can take that's going to increase my gains in the gym, my personal development outside of it? I want more energy. I want more this, that, and the other. And it's not something that you take. It's something that you stop taking. And for so many people, the answer is staring them straight in the face. And it is alcohol. It's the fact that you are able to undo the progress that you make with mind, body, and spirit every single week or every two weeks or every three weeks, however often it is. And you undo it because firstly, you, you reset all of your progress and then you feel guilty. You're like, oh, I was doing so well. I was doing so this, that, and the other. You wake up, you're just like in a pile of Domino's pizza boxes and you lounge around the next day with your mates playing Xbox or whatever it is. And you're like, fuck, like I, I was doing so much good stuff. But, you know, there is no one, there is absolutely nobody out there for whom I don't think a concentrated period of sobriety where they focus on personal development, build themselves some good habits, isn't going to be a benefit. You know, even someone like you that was drinking five or six times a year, using a period and going like, right, I'm going to see if I can do it for six months. I'm going to see if I can do it for 90 days, whatever it might be. Challenge yourself to do it. You'll also get to see a million other improvements like, You'll be more, you'll be more uh, picky and selective with your friends because you'll realize that a lot of the people that you're friends with, you can only stand to be around when you're drunk. And if you can only stand to be around your friends when you're drunk, they're not friends. If you can only stand to go to particular events or parties when you know that you're able to sedate yourself from how shit they're going to be by getting drunk, you're also choosing to go to the wrong things. If you only go to sleep and have a sound night of sleep on a nighttime because you have a couple of drinks before, that's not sleep, that's sedating yourself. So, you know, as you can see, there's a, an entire body of knowledge that comes from my three years of fucking around with sobriety. But I did six months, I had a break. I did another six months, I had a break. And I'm just about to finish 20 months now. So in 28 days, four weeks today, um, I'm going to do, I'll have been 20 months sober and then I'll reintegrate for a bit, see how I feel and then go. So yeah, that's, that's my case for why people that's, should go sober. That's in incredibly powerful and so much within that to unpack but one of the key things to highlight to anybody listening who typically would associate automatically they would jump to oh sobriety that's for people that have a problem with drinking now a problem with drinking is that endless cycle of improving <laughs> during the week and failing a problem with drinking and by society's definition is your alcoholic who beats his partner or loses his job and that kind of thing However, there's different levels to the problem with drinking, and I'm sure it's the same across many countries, but the UK has that culture, doesn't it, where Friday means let's get some beers in the office or let's get, some, let's get a pint after work. And that endless cycle of improvement, like you say, during the week and then falling backwards, feeling guilty. My own experience, like you've said there, although it's five, six times, Typically, it would always be 
the first five months of the year from going out on New Year's Eve until my brother's birthday in May, I would be sober. And those five months, the productivity is just frightening. So it's always when I move the furthest in my career. It's when I pass the most professional development exams. It's when my physique changes the most. It's when I save the most to put the next deposit down for, a, for another flat. It is, it's just a, an overwhelmingly positive period. And I, I personally couldn't advocate that enough. And the fact that you've got three years worth of experience of that kind of those kind of on-off cycles of six months, six months, eight, twenty coming up for twenty months is a really powerful case study for anybody who doesn't view themselves as a quote-unquote problem drinker, doesn't have a, a a terrible relationship with alcohol, but who wants to fast-track themselves to improve in so many ways and ultimately fulfill their potential. I couldn't agree more, man. Yeah, there's a quote from Ed Latimore. Um, which completely encapsulates how mental society's view of alcohol is. Alcohol is the only drug where if you don't do it, people assume you have a problem. And you're like, <laughs> the, fact, the fact that alcohol is the only drug where if you don't, you know, people don't look at you and go, hey man, why are you, um, why are you not shooting up this afternoon? Like it's a Friday night. Is there any reason that you've decided not to, to get a little, because John's got some smack and like, and Jenny's got some crack. Like, why are you not, how come you decide you've not got the crack pipe? What do you decide? Like yeah. it's, you know, the only, uh, there's actually a caveat to that. One of the other drugs that people uh, assume you have a problem if you don't do it is caffeine. Yeah, um, coffee. Yeah. Oh my fucking God. What? You don't drink coffee. They look at you like a Holocaust denier. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, like, man, there is so many benefits for people to have by going sober and the people who don't think that they need it very well might be the ones that could benefit the most. You know, that's like, it's, it's the equivalent of saying I'm not fat. I don't need to exercise. It's like, you don't know how good you could be if you did the things that made you better. Yeah. You literally don't know how good you could be if you did all of this stuff that you're supposed to do that could really, really double down on it. Oh, well, I'm naturally lean, so I walk around, you know, and I, I don't really need to train. It's like, right, do you know how, how much low-hanging fruit there would be if you just put fucking 15%, 20% of effort into the gym? You would be jacked out of your mind or you would have a really great physique as a girl, a really shapely legs or whatever it might be that you want. as your, And it is the equivalent for sobriety as well it's oh i don't think that i've really got a problem with it that much than the other you're like well okay great for you why don't you try going sober and see how good you can be that's the question yeah. man and uh, you know right now i don't know when this is going to go out but right now if we are still in lockdown there has never been an easier time there has yes. never been an easy time it's illegal to go to the pub it's illegal my entire industry my whole industry of nightlife is shut down right there has never been an easier time to go sober because let me tell you, one thing that will not fucking save you from COVID-19 is being drunk. Like it will downregulate your immune system. You're going to have worse sleep and wake routine. It's going to increase depressive thoughts. It's going to increase calorie intake. It's going to waste money at a time where everyone's got worries about where the money's coming from. Again, you know, it's the, the best way to improve your anti-fragility or if you want to become more fragile, just drink more. If you really, really want to fuck your life up, yep. like just go out on the lash twice a week and I guarantee that you won't get anything done for the next year. So what's the converse of that? Go sober for six months and see how much better you can get. Yep. One point to pull out of that, of, of which there's so much value, 
is about your your friend group as well and i i certainly noticed that when coming out of university some of the people that you were friends with maybe from school or or or, or that they were drinking buddies they they were they were acquaintances that enabled you to go out on a thursday night or a saturday night when you wanted to go out and you didn't have that much to talk about apart from the stories from when you were like on a mad one mm. and sorry that's more of a scottish thing i'm sure you maybe say that no 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 i agree I yeah so if you, you you would have your stories from like totally wild nights out that you'd had and that was all that you could speak about with these people and that's really unfortunate because your connection with them is actually on a very and that's thin, a common denominator yeah the common and, denominator is that you you both get off your faces together and as as you start to pull away from that you start to get invited to those things less for starters once you start saying no and also once you turn up sober as well unless you contribute which i would always go to the pre-drink sober and i could still enjoy that part but then no offense i would go to the club sober and it would be less less palatable unless it was a particular DJ that was on or an event that I wanted to go to I would just enjoy the pre's go home and then my next day I'd be up I'd go to the golf course go to the gym whatever I was wanting to do I would I would get it done and yeah like you say your friend group starts to change because you start to realize who you actually have a deeper connection with and who's an actual friend rather than somebody that you hang about with to facility out of convenience because they they have a they have a tuesday morning off in uni so you can both go out together and get pissed on a monday night yeah man it's you know the the number of people who have grandfathered friends in from past epochs past areas of their life and the only reason that they're there is because they've been there for a while and you've never questioned is this person actually that good for me you know like Don't get me wrong. I would love to have more friends. If I could have more friends, that would be fantastic. A bigger circle with uh, the same amount of depth, but I am not prepared to dilute down the level of connection that I want from me and my friends in order to just have a wider circle. I'm not going to do it. Um, and, you know, it might sound like it's coming from two fucking semi-autistic guys talking on the internet or doing this podcasting thing (laughs) but like let me tell you i've stood on the front door of of nightclubs a thousand times literally a thousand nights i've stood on the front door of nightclubs i am the man i'm the tip of the fucking spear right for understanding people getting drunk million people have walked watched walk past me so firstly if i can do it you can do it because it's my job to be around pissheads it's not your job if you're an accountant you're a receptionist you're someone that works in retail you're someone that's a fitness trainer whatever it might be not your job to be around people that are drunk maybe your job to be around people that are slightly hung over from the night before but not around people that are drunk my job to do it if i can do it you can do it and if anyone has license to say that taking a break from alcohol is a good worthwhile thing to do it's me, right? You know, I've, I've been there. I've been in the trenches. I've served my time, done Vegas, been thrown out of Vegas nightclub, you know, like the full works, 20 trips to Ibiza, all that sort of stuff. And I'm telling you that given the choice right now at 32 years old between being the guy that drinks and is the, the life and soul of the party or the guy that is able to work on himself and improve the world in that way, I, I would much, much sooner be the person that I am. Yeah, that's... Uh another hugely powerful statement and comes from a, a good place as well so that that fantastic chris i think we've had a really valuable conversation tonight and if there's three or four things that people can take from that we've spoken about 
Chris's background in business, how he's growing um, from the fire boy all the way to the gaffer of the, of the, of the, of the enterprise. We've spoken about self-development and the fact that ultimately, if you're not on that journey or you're not feeling like you're progressing on that journey, it's simply because you haven't quite found that right path yet or the right stimulus or the right content. We've spoken about the fitness menopause, which directly is challenging me, which uh, a lot <laughs> of listeners will enjoy because they know me as a, uh, I mean, I've made fun of CrossFit in the past years ago on my, on my page. As, so, as did many Daz, so did Daz. And now look at him, man. I'm telling you, I've forced that red pill down your throat. And then last but not least, if you're going to take anything away as well, we've spoken about sobriety and I've shared some of my, my experience with five, six, however many months that I've done sober. Chris has shared his and the huge benefits and the low-hanging fruit that is available to you if you make that decision. Now, for those that have um, not been introduced to you before, Chris, where will people be best to go and find you? I know your Instagram handle is nice and easy to share. Yeah. So uh, at Chris Will X, wherever you want to follow me, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, whatever it might be. Um, Modern Wisdom, wherever you listen, wherever you're listening to this go and subscribe. We release two episodes a week with literally the most fascinating humans that I can find. Um, and six months sober.com. That's the number six months sober.com slash podcast. And that'll take you to a special page, which will show you all of the different ways that you can integrate some of the lessons that we've learned this evening. It'll guide you through 28 days, 90 days, or six months of sobriety. I'll be taking you there the whole way. You get a group of people that will support you. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm always interested to speak to people, hear from people. And man, thank you so much for having me on here. I'm super excited to see how you get on with the podcast. Very honored indeed to be the first episode. I hope that we've got a lot, a lot more to come. I'm looking forward to seeing you in the, the podcasting space. Brilliant, Chris. I really appreciate that. All those links will be in the show notes below. But for those that are like me that just like to type something in when I'm listening, then Chris has iterated it all for you there. Thank you very much to everyone that's listened through this whole episode. Please drop us a five-star rating, share it on your Instagram story, let me know that you're listening to it, and I will be back to come in your ears again in future. Speak to you soon.